If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 107. We'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Psalm 107, 1 through 9. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom has he redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the south, from the west, from the north, and from the south? They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right hand that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word this morning because we know from the Bible We can learn from all the marvelous wonders you have done for us. We don't have time, even if we had eternity, to list everything you have provided for us as your people. So we open our hearts to your scripture and offer thanks and praise for what your word reveals to us today. Help us take the truths we find in this 107th Psalm and apply them in our lives such that glory and honor will be given to you We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We are a very privileged people to live in in the freest nation to ever have been on the face of this earth. This nation was founded by a group of very incredible men. Men who knew the dangers of government because they had lived under such tyranny. They came together by the hand of God in this new world, with a vision to make of this new world a better world than the old one they came from. They set out to found this new nation on the principles of God's word. They set up a new type of government with the judicial, uh, judicial and economic philosophies that were new. They saw the government as a servant of the people and controlled by the people. They elected officials that were to work for the people, never against the people. The whole foundation for everything they had was to establish a people, a people that were free to make their own decisions and and their life, about their life and their happiness. This system has built the greatest nation this world has ever known. We face today a real challenge to this nation to its political system, its judicial system, and its economic system. The only way to fight this battle is through God. God founded this nation and gave to us as an example to the world of what freedom can do for all men. We need to be lifting our voices to God in thanksgiving for all he gave us and in petition for his help in keeping our freedom. Let's turn our attention this morning to this 107th Psalm of David. 
There's a good bit of debate over when this psalm was actually written. And as I studied it, I kept couldn't find any solid evidence for a specific date. So I just assumed God considered it unimportant that we know what day it was written. This is what is called a hallelujah psalm. Hallelujah is an English interjection which derive, is derived from a Hebrew phrase meaning praise the Lord or praise God. The alternate spelling hallelujah is taken from the Latin form of the, the Hebrew, the original Hebrew word. For both Jews and Christians, the term is often used as a joyful expression of praise and thanksgiving to God. That's exactly what this psalm is, an expression of praise and thanksgiving. Thus the title I've given this sermon, Give Thanks to the Lord. The title tells us what we should do in our lives. Thanksgiving occurs when we joyfully acknowledge the goodness of God. That goodness can be seen in many different blessings, both temporal and physical, spiritual too. When you acknowledge such a blessing, it will cause you to lift your voice in prayer and thanksgiving with great zeal. Wilhelmus Abrakel says, therefore giving, thanksgiving, and prayer are subsequently conjoined. That means they're put together. Listen to Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Also, 1 Timothy 2, 1. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, I think here you can clearly see thanksgiving and prayer are joined together. As we look at the first nine verses of this psalm, we'll first hear a call to thanksgiving. Second, we will learn of the requirement to be thankful. Third, we will study the problem. Fourth, we will see the results. And fifth, we will examine the need. The first thing we hear in this psalm is that call to thanksgiving. Psalm 107.1 Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. What we see in this, besides this call to thanksgiving, is eternal mercy. This is very important. This is the theme of the whole psalm. Those who have tasted the sweetness are invited to join in the offering of praise. To give thanks is all we can give, and it is the least that we can give. This is an exhortation. An exhortation that is coming from the heart of the psalmist in all earnest. This is made clear by the interjection O that begins the first line. This is the way he shows how intense he is putting forward these words. We must be at all times very sincere in the praise of our Lord. We must do that with both our body and our lives. How do we do it? by thanksgiving and by thanks living. Jehovah, and that's the name translated here, Lord. Jehovah is not to be worshipped, is not to be worshipped with groans and tears, but is to be worshipped with thanks. 
Why is praise and thanks the way to worship this Jehovah? Because Jehovah is good. You should offer these praises and thanks with great fervor because he is good and it's not just a common good. Jehovah is good by nature and essence and proven to be good in all of his acts throughout eternity. Charles Spurgeon says, compared with him, there is none good, no, not one, but he is essentially, perpetually, superlatively, infinitely good. As believers, we are the perpetual partakers of his goodness. Therefore, we as his high creatures should above all other creatures magnify his name. We must work at increasing our praise because we know that this divine goodness is not transient, it's not easily lost. The goodness of God as an attribute of his mercy abides forever the same for his mercy endures forever. If there's anything in our Lord that should cause us to raise our voices to praise and thanks, it has to be this mercy that he used in order to show us his grace. Do you see how important that is? How that really stands out? The translators have added the word endures here in this first verse. Now this really causes a bit of a narrowing of its meaning. It's better to render it for his mercy forever. Why would I say this? God's mercy is eternal. It has no beginning and it has no end. That's important to us. If there was a beginning, how could we ever be sure we found it in the right place? If it had an ending, how could we ever be sure our time under that mercy would not run out? Our sin required this goodness. The goodness of God has to display itself to us in mercy. That's the only way we can ever receive it. We don't deserve it. Goodness always shows itself in mercy. In our salvation, it has done exactly that and will continue to do that throughout eternity. Therefore, let none who name the name of Christ stop offering praise and worship and thanksgiving to Jehovah our Lord. The second thing we look at is the requirement, verses 2 through 3. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom has he redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and the south? Here is the heart of this message. Thanksgiving comes because of eternal mercy. Here is the heart of this message. Thanksgiving comes only through the eternal mercy. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what they might say. It is only the redeemed that have this great and wonderful reason for declaring the goodness of Jehovah. This redemption is a very special redemption for those who believe in God and the gospel he provides. All who know this gospel should offer a peculiar praise. Spurgeon says, The Redeemer is so glorious, the ransom price so immense, the redemption so complete, that there are under sevenfold obligations to give thanks unto the Lord and to exhort others to do so. So, what are you doing? 
What are you doing to spread this great and wonderful truth that has saved your soul? We need to ask that question of ourselves just about every day. Do you show others your thankfulness? Do you show your praise for all God has done for you? This may have been written centuries ago, but I assure you it stands as pertinent as the day it was inscribed. Are you one of the redeemed? Have you acknowledged your sin? Have you recognized your inability to overcome that sin? Have you reached out to Jesus Christ and sought his mercy with an open and contrite heart? If you have, then my friend, you are one of the redeemed. All that are redeemed not only feel so, but say so. Let them, with you, raise their voices in song, praise, and thanks. That's what we all should be doing. Constantly praising and thanking the Lord for what he has done for us. Redemption. Redemption is the requirement for thanksgiving. How has such redemption been accomplished? It comes in verse, it comes as verse 2 says, whom has he redeemed from the hand of the enemy? Those he has redeemed were pulled by the power of God from those who fiercely oppress. This makes them overwhelmingly bound above others to adore the Lord and to adore his liberation of their souls. Has your soul been liberated? It can be liberated only in Jesus Christ. This makes them overwhelmingly filled with thanksgiving. This is a divine redemption we're talking about. It secures the souls of all who are redeemed. Please understand, this redemption, the redemption of men by God, is the only redemption of the soul's of men. There's no other way to be redeemed. Jesus Christ came into this world to secure for all his people those given him by the Father. They are set free from their bondage to sin. They are delivered from spiritual death. Is this not in your heart something of greater worth than anything this world has to offer? I hope it is for you. It certainly is for me. Does it not make you want to sing his praise? Does it not make you want to give thanks for all Jesus has done in bringing you to redemption? His own unaided arm has brought you such a glorious redemption. What praise, what thanks do you owe to him? In verse 3, he tells us, And gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Understand. This redemption is always followed by gathering. In the days of Israel, those in captivity were restored to their land from every nation on the earth. They came from the east, north, west, south, and west. They came together into one body, one church. What Jesus promises is that no matter how divided his disciples may be, He will gather them by one Lord, by one faith, by one baptism, and into one church. So let the redeemed stand and with one voice and one heart praise and thank Jesus for his love and mercy. Let's look at the problem. Verses 4 and 5. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. 
The children of Israel wandered in that hot and arid wilderness because they had lost their way. This was a big problem for them. They had no direction. They had no hope. They were lost as a sinner lost in sin. They traveled through this arid place, searching in vain as the sinner who has just awakened his need for escape. But with these children, their escape was nowhere to be found. For they continued to wander lost in this desert without hope. How they meandered is important to know. They wandered waiting. They wandered watching for a new direction. How does the psalmist say they traveled? He says they moved in a desolate way. They traveled in a solitary way, a way devoid of others. Now, if you want to intensify your misery, solitude is the way to go. If you get lost in a wilderness with no one around, it can have a most depressing influence upon you. Spurgeon says the traveler's way in the wilderness is a waste way. And when he leaves even that poor barren trail to get utterly beyond the path of men, he is in a wretched plight indeed. A man who lives without sympathy stands on the brink of the lake of fire. A solitary way is a way of absolute despair. Look at this with the way our forefathers lived before us. They had fled the desert of tyranny and come to this new land. The old tyranny was following them. It was leading them into that desert of despair again. They saw it and they knew they had to do something to escape it. There was great danger before them. For in all their wanderings, they found no city to dwell in. The Israelites were lost. How could they find a city? There was none. Israel in the wilderness lived in tents and had none of the comforts of a settled life. They wandered in the desert, finding no town nor village. It is an absolute truth. That when men are under distress, especially of the soul, they find nothing upon which they can rest. They have no comfort nor peace. Their efforts to gain salvation are many, weary, and disappointing. They come to the point that solitude of their hearts can fill them with great distresses. This can be true in anyone's life. It was true of our forefathers. But they, with God's help, overcame their distress and gave all the credit to God. Let's consider the response. Verses 6 and 7. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. These words were written to the children of Israel. They were aimed at the deliverance of Israel. The deliverance of Israel from Egypt and from the wilderness. It begins, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. It's clear. 
It's clear that they did not pray. They did not seek God's help until they were in extreme trouble. Trouble in which they could could see no way out by their own power. George Horn, an 18th century Anglican minister, said in his commentary on Psalms, and I paraphrase, that the world is a great wilderness where mankind wanders about. Men are not just sojourners, but absolute strangers in this desert. It is this desert wilderness that brings us to despair and shows us our need of help. The Israelites refused to open their ears and hear until the darkness had covered over their eyes so they could see absolutely nothing. But by the mercy of God, they prayed from the darkness. And they prayed in a right way. And to the right person, even to the Lord. There was nothing else they could do. They couldn't help themselves. They couldn't find help in others. Therefore, they cried out to God. And this is important. What this teaches is that when we come to the end of ourselves, when we are lost in the darkness of trial, God is always willing to hear our prayers. He's willing because it is just such prayers that show great sincerity. It's interesting to note that some men will never pray until they're half starved. They have come to see it is much better for them to be empty and to faint than to be full and strong. When hunger causes us to fall to our knees, it becomes more useful to us than eating a big meal. If thirst drags us to the fountain, it's much better than all the world joy you can hold. When fainting brings on crying, it is better than the strength of the mighty. So, what is the response to this crying out to the Lord? Verse 6b, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Please remember, Deliverance follows on the heels of prayer. In this case, with the Israelites, their cry was feeble. It was feeble because they were so weak. They had waited so long. But remember, their prayer was heard. There wasn't much room in their case to wait because they were already at the brink of death. What we need to understand from this is that God doesn't come running when you still think you may be, there may be another out there who can defeat your situation, who can help you. God comes when you have come to the end of all your your own hope and your own trust. It's gone. He wants you to know he came because you understood you needed him. These Israelites saw their totally helpless estate. And they turned to God because there was nothing else they could come trust in. God alone. These people deserved to starve to death. They had been rebellious time and time again. Compare that to our forefathers. They saw their situation as hopeless because neither parliament nor king would help them. So they turned to God. The war that followed was being lost on every front. And they prayed again. 
And God changed the flow of the war to their favor. You can't study the tactics of that war without seeing the hand of God bringing forth our deliverance. Those men and their actions have grounded this nation in thanksgiving. May we always remember this gracious God, the God who helps his children through this life. Now, you can also see this. You can see it in your own life. If you believe, if you trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone for your salvation, Jesus came into this world to do for you as a believer what you could never do for yourself. He, his work of grace on your behalf will only bring thanksgiving from your heart as you learn it is Christ alone that has accomplished all of this for you. We also hear in verse 7 these words. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. As you should all know, these are many, there are many wrong ways in everything. And there is only one right way. God came down to those Israel, lost Israelites to lead them through this pathless wilderness. He, does, he has done this, the same thing for all lost sinners. All who cry out to him with a broken and contrite heart, he comes and leads you through. He did this with our forefathers as they sought freedom from oppression. The Israelites wanted a city. They wanted they, they could, a city they could call home. That's what they were looking for, is a place they could settle and be at home. And that's exactly what God did. He led them into the promised land. He is leading all who place their hope and trust in him to the new promised land, which we know is heaven. He led our forefathers to their new city, this nation. Let's look at the need we have in verses 8 and 9. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the heart, hungry soul with goodness. What's the greatest thing we can do in our lives on this earth? You ever stop and thought about that? What's the greatest thing I can do in this world? The greatest thing that any of us can do is to praise and thank our Lord for all the blessings he has given those who deserve absolutely none of them. You know we are all quick to offer thanks at the moment we feel God's saving hand working in our lives. Yes, Yes, we can see many horrible ingrates who refuse to acknowledge God's grace in their lives. It's important that we continue to remember from what we were rescued and to remember the rescue itself. We need to be stirred up again and again for the saving of our soul deserves lifelong thankfulness. It is also a must for those who have not suffered extreme peril or obtained a great deliverance as Paul on the Damascus Road. Others should bless the Lord in sympathy with the fellow believers who have so suffered, sharing also in their joy. This thanks is so needed for his wonderful works to the children of men. Our God is a gracious God, a God who bestows such favors Upon God's children. 
because of God's grace and mercy, we are to lift our voices in praise and worship. Understand, men are absolutely insignificant. They are weak, feeble, and they're so undeserving. Does that not make you stop and wonder? Why in the world would God even consider mankind? Is it not absolutely amazing that he is not content with just little works? He comes with his wisdom, power, and love to do marvels on our behalf that are simply beyond our imaginations. As a believer, you can look back into your life and see the wonders of God's hand. He called you. He called you from the darkness of this world. He delivered you from the bondage of sin. He gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He has guided you through hard times and comforted you in weak times. You can see that in the life of each redeemed soul, there are worlds of wonders. Therefore, from each believer, there should be a world of praise and a constant state of thanksgiving. God has blessed his church with an unbelievable number of marvels of grace, and each of them is as high above our thoughts as heaven is high above our earth. Spurgeon asked, When shall the day dawn when the favored race of man shall be devoted to the praise of God as they are distinguished by the favor of God? It is as the psalmist says in verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul. Is this not what we find in our lives? God has done for us so much. He's done things we could never do for ourselves. Jesus came into this world to prepare for his prepare people for his father. He came to deliver us from sin, to cure us from a hard heart, to instill in us a divine love that will draw us away from the world to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord sets up a longing in our hearts, a desire to know God, and then, then he reaches down into this world and he satisfies those longings and desires. How does he accomplish all of this? He shows us in verse 9b that God fills the hungry soul with goodness. We saw that he satisfies thirst, and now, now we learn he ends hunger by filling the soul with divine goodness. In this, you can see he leaves no need unmet. His abundance is greater than the needs of all the world. Jesus makes that clear in John 10, 10, when he says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. In this statement, we understand Jesus is that abundance. Your salvation is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Please do not trust in yourself. Don't trust in your works, your church, or anything else. For absolutely nothing can save your soul but Jesus Christ. It is Christ who satisfies the thirst for God's attention. It is Christ who fills your heart with love. It is Christ who delivers the truth of God's word to give you confidence. 
All of this should bring from your heart and lips praise and thanksgiving. And it will never be enough. You can't ever give enough. So keep giving it every day. So you will always be praising and thanking such a gracious God. I began the introduction talking about our forefathers and the founding of our nation. I did that to get you to thinking about how the message of this sermon could fit into your life and the nation in which you live. Our founding fathers fought a great war for our independence. They also fought a great spiritual war in establishing our nation. They did things no other group of people in the history of the world had ever done. They recognized that there was one thing left for them to do once this nation was established. John Jay, first justice of the Supreme Court, the first chief justice, declared, I recommend a general and public return of praise and thanksgiving to him from whose goodness these blessings descend. The most effectual means of securing the continuance of our civil and religious liberties is to always to remember with reverence and gratitude the source from which they flow. Please take note of these words. Go forth in this place. Committed to praising and thanking God for everything we have, especially for this great nation that lets us live in freedom. Don't keep that praise and thanksgiving just in your heart. But open your lips. Tell everyone you know how God has blessed this nation and how he has blessed you. Let's pray. Merciful Father, we gathered here to worship you for all the marvelous things you have done for us in our, and for our nation. Please open the windows of heaven and receive our worship, praise, and thanksgiving. Father, we know how far short of your glory we have fallen. We see the sins we have allowed in our land. We also see the path before us and understand it will be hard to follow. We fall on our faces begging you to hear our praise and forgive our sins. Grant us the gifts of redemption and repentance. Pour your grace on each of our lives and on this nation you have given us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.